mold breakers, trailblazers, and takers of roads less traveled. And we're here to tell their stories. Here's your host, Andrew Lawrence. Not all of us look the way the world expects us to look, think as the world expects us to think, or arrive at our destination the way the world expects us to. On the Square Peg Podcast, we give a voice to mold breakers, trailblazers, and takers of roads less traveled. I'm your host, Andrew Lawrence, and here are their stories. Thank you to the Searchlight Needles for getting us started as always. The hashtag needles aren't just a quartet of middle-aged, overweight, and balding El Pasoans. Robert Martinez, Josh Smith, Adrian Ortiz, and David Sines are four really fantastic guys who hold down jobs and take care of families during the week, and they rock out on the weekends. You can find them on the web at www.searchlightneedles.com. You can find them on Facebook, and you can download their album on all streaming services. My guest today is a filmmaker, television show creator, an investor in a New Mexico brewery, and is a proud Aggie, having graduated from NMSU's Creative Media Institute. Good morning, Julian Nudias, and welcome to the Square Peg Podcast. Awesome, awesome. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Appreciate it. <clears throat> I'm glad to finally have you in here. And um, something we just talked about a few minutes ago and that I hadn't you know, hadn't really known um, until recently was uh, you're also a music writer and producer. That's correct, yeah. Um, you know, that's how I really got involved into really film and uh, kind of what I'm doing now is, you know, and it all started here in, uh, in Las Cruces, which makes so this special so interview, uh, this interview so special. Cause I remember Zia used to be in the other room, right? The Zia That's country. Right. That's right. And so, uh, we were doing interviews with, uh, you know, as a little Las Cruces hometown band called Border Avenue, which was fronted by, uh, my cousin, actually, Frank Ray. He was, um, you know, he's a real big, uh, you know, part of the, Cruces culture here, uh, you know, coming up as, you know, a country artist. And, uh, I'm just happy to be able to be doing my part in that when I, when this all started, I was kind of doing a little producing for them, like doing music videos and, and helping set up gigs and stuff. So, uh, you know, that's kind of where music started for me. And, uh, and now I kind of write a little more pop, uh, a little bit more rap kind of with that kind of stuff. Every once in a while, I throw in some rock in there. But, uh, what I really, you know, Music was the foundation to uh, doing actually film, and that's what I do the most now, kind of. Yeah, and it was so so. It was interesting. We had Frank Ray on season two, mm -hmm. um, and he was a fantastic guest. We had a little bit of, um, we had a great interview. Uh, we recorded it right here in the same studio. And um, is that was your interest in music and getting into producing, um, not only producing music but music videos, kind of the impetus or the reason for you uh, studying in the Creative Media Institute at New Mexico State? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, because, you know, I, <clears throat> like Frank, you know, I was from Columbus, New Mexico, small little town. Wow, okay. Yeah, famous for Pancho Villa. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, growing up as a kid there, there's not a lot of options for things you can do, um, you know. Uh, so music, you know, started there in, in high school. I was always playing in bands and things, and my family was real supportive. And, uh it's great living in New Mexico because uh, in, in Columbus because your neighbors really, you know, couldn't complain. You know, it's uh, there's so much open space down there that uh, we can make a bunch of noise and no one would have a problem with it. So uh, I was been doing music since high school and it kind of just, you know, after graduating, you know, I was kind of uh, here in MSU, like, you know, just country mouse in the big medium-sized city, I guess. <laughs> well, com compared to Columbus, New Mexico, yeah. I guess Las Cruces really is a bit of a metropolis. Yeah, yeah. So you're coming in, it was like, all right, cool. You know, I was starting to see options. I got more involved in, uh, you know, kind of doing music more seriously, doing shows. And uh, like I said, we were doing a bunch of shows uh, back then. And 
And it really just, you know, it did. Uh, when I was at school, I was an English major for the longest time. That's what I was going to do. And uh, I was, you know, wanted to be a teacher. And, and no credit to what teachers do. I just, you know, realized that wasn't for me. And I, uh, my mom's a teacher. And she actually says, you know, if your heart's not in teaching, it'd be a disservice to not only yourself, but everyone else. If you do it. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this film thing. You know, I saw the CMI program there. And uh, I, we, I jumped right into it. And, you know, all the classes, everything I really enjoyed. And, and to this day... The CMI program, all the staff and, you know, uh, the faculty there, they're real supportive in all our projects and the things we're doing, you know, now that we've kind of developed in our careers. And you know what? I just got to thinking, I think about that Creative Media Institute. I had a guest um, on season one, uh, Lupe Martos, who works in digital media. Mm -hmm. And I know she studied uh, at that at NMSU. And I don't know if it was in that specific program, but I would imagine uh, even though you're, you know, you're, you're concentration at least in the beginning was on music and music videos i would imagine the digital portion is probably a, a huge part of what you study there absolutely uh, and you know they what i see the uh cmi is they really gave me the tools to uh produce content because you know these days uh, digital when you say digital and online stuff everything is about content that's what we're doing right now we're we're developing content to put out online and um I learned that very fast because uh, uh, as a filmmaker, you make, you know, this great projects and then, you know, you get to the finish line. You're like, all right, where, what do I do with it? You know what I mean? And, and you know, a, a lot of people don't know how to market that. And, and I think I learned a lot of that after CMI, to be honest, because um, at CMI, I learned how to produce, you know, I learned how to put films together. I learned how to, you know, the camera angles, how to use it, all that stuff. But um it was really out after. So, you know, you reminded me, talking about the New Mexico State University's Creative Media Institute, or CMI as you call it, uh, we had a guest actually in season one, Lupe Martos, uh, who is uh, does a lot of digital media uh, and a lot of online content, and I know she studied at New Mexico State. Not sure if that, that was the same program, but I would imagine even though your start was in music and producing videos uh, and things like that, the digital part is probably pretty central to almost everything you do now. Um, when it comes to whatever it is that you're producing. Absolutely. Because um, that is kind of the main part of these days. You know, CMI was just really great at giving us the tools to develop great content, uh, to get it online and, and build and share it out there. So, you know, really, uh, I learned how to make great films. I learned how to uh, connect with people, you know, by telling a story uh, through film. And that really carries into online because these days being online, you know, that's everything, you know, uh, you're everything accessible on your phone. And one of the best ways to communicate with people online is through video. So, uh, you know, a lot of people, you've got to kind of be, uh, have, you have to be able to do both. You got to be able to create great content, uh, and you have to be able to know what to do with it online. And, and, uh, I kind of learned how to do that outside of CMI most, um, through business, you know, I've been working in real estate and I got my own marketing agency and I kind of do a lot of, uh, a lot of that, use those same tools that I learned at CMI to, to do things in business. And, and when I, you know, do things in business and I do well, then I can fund projects like, uh, that I've been doing, like, uh, some of the films and some of the other things that I've done. You know, it's, it's kind of difficult to, um, get through an interview these days. We, you know, we started during the pandemic, uh, we started the show last summer and, it's become kind of a, not, a regular part of what I do during my interviews to talk to my guests about 
not just how the how the uh, pandemic has affected them and their operations, but in your case, it's uh, spawned an opportunity for a television project uh, in Albuquerque that you've right. been working on. Talk talk to me about that uh, about that opportunity you have. What the name of the TV show is and what is you guys are doing? Yeah, so the TV show is called La Vida Buena, which means the good life. And, uh, the fur, it's a pilot episode for a, a TV show that I've always, I always just wanted to do, do, you know, like watching these travel channel food TV show type things. I was like, I, I could do that. You know what I mean? And I had this idea and I was talking to one of my, a friend of mine, Eric Martinez. He's, uh, the owner of Los Foodies magazine. And, you know, I was like, Hey, I got an idea for a show and, and we're trying to put it together and at the same time the pandemic hit. So, you know, restaurants got slammed and, uh, so we didn't do anything. And then recently I saw like the city of Albuquerque put out this kind of grant called Virtual Visionaries. And what it is, it was kind of a, a project to, you know, create something local about Albuquerque. And so I had this show kind of, you know, in my bullpen, just hanging out there. And I was like, this would be a great, you know, great idea to launch now because, you know, the theme of it may have changed a little bit because of, you know, COVID and, and how, you know, restaurants have had to adapt. So it's really the show's about just me going around to some great uh, Albuquerque restaurants and breweries and, you know, hanging out, eating great food, you know, drinking great drinks. And it's a great show. And you could uh, actually watch it uh, online if you just go to uh, losfoodiesmagazine.com slash La Vida Buena. Uh, you could check out the episode for free online. When did you guys record that? We recorded it uh, maybe about three months ago. It was it happened really fast, uh, and I had a great team. Uh, again, two CMI uh, uh, graduates. Uh, you know, were uh, Luke Hawthorne and Matt Holgeen. We were, you know, we've always been connected. And I said, "Hey guys, you know, I, I got this TV show idea. You, you ready to do it?" They're like, "Yeah." And we put it together like in three days, even though the project was like, you know, the concept of it was a, a year long. Um, it was still, um, it took us about three days to put it together. And how many restaurants were you able to cover? We covered four restaurants. Uh, we covered a taco spot, a taco tan restaurant in Albuquerque. Uh, we did, uh, a brewery, B2B Garden Brewery. You know, there's a little special tip about that. We'll pick up in a little bit. And we'll talk about that uh, later. And then, and then we went downtown. Like there's this new concept in Albuquerque right now called the food hall. I'm sure you guys have some, some something similar here too, but it's like a bunch of restaurants in one location and they serve beer, food. Uh, but we went to, it's called 505 Central in downtown Albuquerque. Super fun. We went there and then we ended the day on like a, a farm called Farm and Table and they had like, they grew their own food and, you know, they did a lot of local sourcing. It was really good. They don't like to be called fine dining, but I felt real fancy. I wore a coat and everything. So, well, I mean, it's good to hear that you're uh, not that I'm an expert on on Albuquerque, you know, restaurants and cuisine. But you know, I've lived in New Mexico twenty years. I've spent plenty of time in Albuquerque, and you know, I, you know, everybody might expect if you're doing a show on food there, you you might go to the Frontier or to uh, oh, what's the Silver Star Diner or some of the bigger yeah. name places. And it, it sounds to me like you're. You're, uh, you concentrated on places that are kind of up and coming and, and, and probably, you know, would benefit from the exposure, uh, a little bit better or, or, or to a greater degree than some of the larger name ones that we talked about. Now, one idea that I just had since you guys filmed this three months ago, we were still pretty just starting to get people vaccinated. Uh, are there any plans to kind of revisit these restaurants anytime in the near future to kind of see where they've, where they've come since you first recorded? Yeah. I think, you know, Definitely. I, I visit there already, you know, just going back on my own. But as far as like shooting a TV show, that, that, that'd probably be 
cool to do. But uh, we're looking to, you know, I want to get this show off the ground. This was, was really a pilot episode, and I don't want to keep it in Albuquerque. Like, I, I am new to Albuquerque myself. I moved there in 2017. So before then, I was right here in Cruces, and I was, you know, growing with Cruces, and I started my whole career here. Um, but, you know, as any, any New Mexican, like I've lived here my whole life, you know, I, I tend to, you know, make my way north a little bit, you know, to the land of opportunity. There's no I, opportunities in Las Cruces? Oh, you know, in 2007, it was a little different, you know what I mean? Uh, in Albuquerque, now they got big film studios coming in. And, right. And doing film, I just find, I want to be close to all that. You right. know what I'm saying? So I'm not saying that there's not opportunities in Cruces, because it's growing. Cause it's a different Las Cruces than it was right. since I've been here. But uh, it's it's different, and uh, you know maybe things might change, and I'll come back down. But right now, you know, I want to be close to all that film studio stuff. Well, you know, you mentioned um, the whole Food Network thing, and I think anybody with cable television or any kind of uh, streaming or, or satellite services has seen you know shows like Andrew Zimmer and Anthony mm-hmm. Bourdain and uh, Guy Fieri uh, and those things. Has there been uh, any any thought on your your part or any any attempt to try to get your content uh, sold to the Food Network? Um, yeah, I, I reach out everywhere, man. Um, like I said, that's one of the things, uh, about, uh, being online and, and what I do in kind of my day job is I'm a marketing strategist. So, uh, I'm always thinking of ways to get my films picked up. And, I'm, uh, uh, right now I'm, like I said, this was a pilot episode. I want to do this statewide. I want to be stuck in Albuquerque. So if there's anyone out there is looking to, you know, do some cool advertising in a fun way, uh, we can always get, uh, something going, but, um, yeah, but, you know, I'm always looking to do something cool with film, and I'm, I'm trying to get it picked up. So if anyone's interested, you know, in, you know, producing a TV show about New Mexico, maybe we'll do the Cruces episode next. Who knows? Well, if you, let's put it this way. If you were going to do a Cruces episode, do you have any ideas of any restaurants you might want to profile? Yeah, so as far as the favorite spot here in Cruces, you know, it's hard to say. There's a lot of good ones. There's a lot of new ones I haven't tried, so we'll we'll, we'll see what's out there. Well, there's definitely been a lot of growth, um, and you mentioned you mentioned some of the things. Uh, one of the places I haven't been yet, but that Broken Spoke Tap House. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually just had last week. I uh, met a couple buddies at uh, at the original Icebox Brewery. Um, yeah, down there on Picacho. <clears throat> on Picacho, yeah, and that was the first one. And you know, we, we're definitely going to get into you know talking about your your project with the brewery up in Albuquerque here uh, before we get done today because that's something that uh, is kind of close to my interest, uh, very close to my interest, because I like to geek out on, on craft beers. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the the first thing, and, and the, when you and I first connected, it was over your film project, De La Luz. Uh, now, everything about it is local, except for That's maybe a little twist at the end. And, <laughs> and I'm going to leave... And even that, though. Well, I'm going to leave <laughs> local New Mexico, maybe, <laughs> maybe not southern New Mexico or Las Cruces, <clears throat> but yeah. And I'm, I'm going to leave because I know you've shown it at some film festivals, mm-hmm. and I don't know what kind of distribution you've had since then, so I don't want to kind of spoil it for our listeners. Yeah. I'll leave that end of it up to you, but <clears throat> if you were to do, uh, if you had like a, a verbal promo you wanted to do for the film, let's just go ahead and, and get started with that, and mm-hmm. I'll follow up with some of the other things I wanted to ask you about. All right, so definitely, um, well, De La Luz from The Light um, is kind of a, a film that... I wrote during, you know, a time in what's going on in the country that, you know, just immigration and uh, growing up on the border, you know, living in Columbus, this is something that's always been, you know, apparent in my life and around me literally happening, you know, um, and being, a, I want to say, a, a newer filmmaker and I, I, this film has been made a million times, 
you know, and I'm like, what can I do to make it different? but still kind of be true to these traditional uh, styles and be respectful to the situation. Cause of course, you know, uh, it's a very sensitive topic and um, you know, and, and I feel I have my feelings on it, but at the end of the day um, I'm, I'm an entertainer and I want to build uh, tell a compelling story and I want to use characters that, you know, that I've seen firsthand uh, growing up on the border and, uh, and seeing what I see on the news and, uh, so it has that aspect to it and and there is a twist you know in the film and and we we could touch on it a little bit uh you know it's a little paranormal uh and you know shining lights you know we won't say more than that you know <laughs> yeah and 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 I don't know um and I'll just say this as as a you know somebody who's obviously watched the film there seems to be that when when we see that paranormal twist, and I don't know if you did it on purpose, but my first reaction is it's awfully cliche, at least the visual <laughs> part. And I don't know if that was on purpose. I don't know if that's a little bit of a, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Cliche. Is well, irony in there? Yeah. Um, you know, but like I said, we don't, we don't want to give that away. Obviously, like you said, growing up in Columbus, border issues mm-hmm. is something that, um, a part of your life. And, and it's really for those of us here, um, you know, we, we record here in Las, Cru- Las Cruces, which is in Doniana County. And Doniana County is on the U.S.-Mexico border. You literally, mm-hmm. when you cross the southern uh, Doniana County uh, border, you're also crossing an international border. So, you know, issues of immigration, uh, be it legal, be it illegal, be it undocumented or, or otherwise, uh, is something that's never not topical. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter. You can point, you know, and we don't get political here on this show, but, you know, during all of the presidencies of my lifetime, which is approaching its, you know, 50th year. Um, it's always you been can, a topic, yeah. You can point to every president and how they dealt with it. And um, some better than others, obviously, depending on your point of view, but it's never not topical. And, you know, we've just in the last couple of years, we've got the construction of the border wall. Now we've mm-hmm. got the ordering of the, the, the stopping of the construction. Yeah. Of it. Um, but you you filmed it locally here. Absolutely. Um, are you willing to share some of the, I mean, what locations did you use? Yeah, we were uh, here in Cruces, of course. You can see the Rio Grande in, uh, in the background there. Um, you know, not too far from here, just on the other side. Um, really, at, at the end of that day, you know, we were scrambling for a light. <laughs> So we were doing a little bit of run and gunning, you know, uh, kind of playing it on the fly. Um, but yeah, we shot a lot all along the Rio Grande and we did some more shooting in Radium Springs. Um, there's some real cool looking, uh, kind of just little arroyos out there that really, uh, bring a, uh, just a good picture of, uh, you know, just kind of little scary crossing kind of deal. So how did you, uh, how did you cast for this? Um, you know, I, I had some great partners who uh, really helped me on this project. Alfonso Loya, another CMI guy, and Tony Marquez, another CMI guy. You know, they're everywhere, these CMI guys. Um, and we actually casted in the Cruces, El Paso, Juarez area. So we were, you know, uh, trying to just pick as local, as many local actors as we could. And, you know, there's a plethora of talent here in the Southwest. Uh, so, you know, definitely give them a shot out there. And uh, our team did really great. Cape Tejada and uh, Brisa Mesa, the, 
the leads. So how do you put that out though? When you're when you know you're making a film, or is it word of mouth? Is it hey, I know this guy and this guy knows this guy, or or do you advertise online? Or how does that all work? It's a little bit of everything. You know, we all have our built networks and our fears of influence. You know, of people that we know and of course gone to school with, because that's when we go to school with we. Uh, that's when we pick up a lot of our contacts and a lot of people that we're going to work with in the future. And I've known Alfonso for you know for quite a while, and, and he was he directed the film. Uh, I wrote it and produced it, so uh, it was a you know a, really a partnership of me and him, kind of uh, wor- working our vision and what we wanted to do and how we wanted to tell that story. But um, yeah, you, you know, I've put ads online on Facebook and casting calls, and there's a whole process for that that we go through. Now, I want to talk about a character that I actually found to be very interesting: the the, the coyote himself. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a little bit of humor in there, almost. Uh, you know, it's like the guy. You know, they they kind of do. You know, you you pay somebody to do this job for you to get you to a place, but uh, they've really kind of got you by the balls. Yeah, they do. Um, they've got full control over you, and I mean, it's almost like, you know, uh, kind of reminded me of you see movies that reminded me a little bit um, of the movie Full Metal Jacket, where you've got this drill instructor who has total control over your life, but there's some 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 humor sprinkled into it through yeah. the the harshness <laughs> um how did that tell tell me about the writing of 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 that uh that character's part and and kind of how you came up with that whole idea yeah you know uh coyotes aren't known to be the most like caring guys <laughs> and and i wrote it you know i really got to give credit to hector des he's uh the actor who played uh you know the coyote uh he just did a really great job. I, I, I wrote, uh, you know, that character to be a pretty typical coyote and, uh, you know, being the kind of mean dude, you know, and, uh, we were on set and Hector comes up to me with the script and he's like, yo, man, let's, uh, let's talk about this. I want to do this coyote a little bit different. And he really interpreted the, the character and, and I brought him to life off the page. So it was awesome. And, um, the, the, the other characters, obviously, um, and I don't, and I don't remember the, the. It's a male and female couple, yeah, yeah. who are trying to come uh, come across the border, obviously, for to give a better life to the child they're about to bring into mm-hmm. this world. Um, was there anything? Were there characters, or were there their dialogue, or their story based on anything in particular, or were you just kind of drawing from a, a, the, the kind of the vast uh, exposure to characters and stories that we've all heard? Uh, because anybody here who lives in the borderland uh, for any amount of time knows people who have come across this way yeah. and and i've actually said you know to people who live in other parts of the country who take a very harsh one way or the other really take a very harsh tone and very hard stance on on uh what to do about the the situation with with uh unlawful border crossings is that they're able to have kind of the sanitized faraway view whereas those of us who live here and for people like you who are actually from here People who come across the border undocumented without papers and do it, you know, doing it unlawfully are such a fabric of our, they're such an important part of the fabric of our society. And if we removed them, there would be a lot of voids. So uh, it just, I'm wondering, maybe I'll make the assumption that you were able to just draw upon your general knowledge and exposure uh, when writing these parts. Oh, yeah, that's right. Growing up, you know, on the border, we hear the story so often. Uh, we see the results, you know, uh, you know, someone who maybe came into the country illegally and, you know, they did the right thing. And, uh, 
you know, were able to become Americanized. And uh, it's just, you know, a, a common theme. And I wanted to, you know, being from the area, wanted to use that. And and I wanted to, you know, because it's influenced me, obviously it's influenced me. So I wanted to use that and, and then, you know, add something of mine in there. And that's that's uh, that's one of the, the greater parts of it is I, um, like I said, as, as a storyteller, I want to show you something real and I want to show you something that's that has deep, uh, you know, deep feelings on it on both sides and then i want to add something that you know at the end of the day i want i want the person watching it to go what <laughs> yeah i see what you're doing there or or what the heck was that you know what i mean depending on the reaction that you want so now you uh <clears throat> showed showed your film at a couple local film festivals mm -hmm. in the spring you want to talk a little bit about that yeah so it was uh featured in the las cruces international film festival you know with covid and and everything they did stream it online uh so it was the format was a little different year i i kept telling myself and all uh cast and crew like man we we picked quite the year to release a film uh because it was so different this year i've, I've been up into about five festivals to this day uh we won uh best uh local film in the el paso film festival because it was uh of course uh the best local short film and uh so we won that and we went to a few different films uh, festivals around the world, which is one of the cool things about this year. You know, since everyone was doing digital and virtual film festivals, it wasn't a traditional audience that you're used to. You know, now you have the opportunity to showcase it worldwide. So that was one of the cool things about this year, too. I just kind of had the thought when you when you mentioned going to some international film festivals, the very nature uh, of the of the film itself mm -hmm. makes it one that's international. So I'm, I'm thinking maybe that gets you invites to more. Uh, I mean, I don't know how you get your film shown at a film festival, but you touched on uh, the, the nature of it being a short film. It won mm -hmm. Best Local Short Film at the El Paso Film Festival. Um, yeah, it's 20 some odd minutes long. Yeah, it's about 29 minutes long. Okay. And um, if somebody wanted to watch uh, De La Luz, how would they be able to access that? So just recently, you know, we're kind of, kind of wrapping up the festival run here. There's a few more that I'm waiting for responses from to see if we're going to make it. Um, you know, and I'm still active on the De La Luz social media somewhat. Um, but at this point, you know, I'm actually going to put it up. You could watch it for rental on my website. Uh, my website's lionmedia.com slash watch. And you can actually go rent the loose air and uh, stream it to your TV, watch it on your phone, or do anything you want with it. But it's now available as of yesterday. I made the decision. So That's fantastic. And, of course, by the time uh, everybody's hearing this, it's going to be about, probably about mid-June. So it'll definitely be available. And, you know, when we, when, we, when we release this episode of the Square Peg podcast, of course, um, it'll be on lascrucestoday.com as well as uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Now on on the lascrucestoday.com we'll have a link and we can you know before then we can get uh, links from you to to help people find yeah. what they're looking for if they want to watch uh, De La Luz. Now um, I just had the thought I think I'm going to set a record now for this episode for the most references to past guests <laughs> because we're going to talk now about your brewery uh, that you're a, an investor in. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mentioned uh, having gone to a local uh, brewery and gave a gave a, a plug to the Icebox Brewery here. <laughs> uh, I met I met uh, among another friend. I met my friend, uh, Pastor Jared Carson of Peace Lutheran Church, who was a guest here in season two. And um, he's a member of a Las Cruces homebrew club. Awesome. Uh, we he and I and, and another another guest, actually, Todd Stuvey, a registered <laughs> nurse, went to the uh, Arizona Bowl a couple of years ago when the Aggies broke their 60 year bowl drought. And while we were Very in Tucson, cool. I had to take Jared. Uh, we had to drop Jared at a um, 
at a, at a homebrew shop so he could pick up some hops or whatever the heck, whatever you guys. See, this is my thing. I, I'll drink the crap out of some craft beers and I will, I will geek out about oh, yeah. it. I have like little to no interest in the actual brewing process. Uh, I just want the finished product. <laughs> but, you know, like podcasts, uh, breweries, microbreweries are, 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 everybody's got one. It's oh, a dime man. a dozen. Absolutely. So tell me about, you know, the name of the brewery you're a part of in Albuquerque and what makes it different and what makes it stand out. Yeah, well, so when I really got started with uh, beer and brewing as a buddy of mine, Gary Brown, another Aggie, uh, he used to do it all the time. He'd, hey, try, try my beer. And I, I got into it when I moved up to Albuquerque. I was like, oh, I'm going to start trying it. And it's like one of those hobbies that once you start, you just go all into it. You know, you have to have all the latest little gadgets and you're trying to do all the little tips and tricks. And uh, so I started brewing in my garage. You know, I was a home brewer. And um you know, doing what I do, I'm always online looking for opportunities and, and things to do. I just, you know, I, I'm a busybody. I got to keep moving. I, I, I saw this marketing position, uh, at, at a local brewery in Albuquerque and, uh, and, uh, it's uh, called B2B Garden Brewery. And so, uh, they were looking for a marketing guy and they were building, actually building a new brewery. And, and, uh, you know, I would been home brewing for about two years since then. And, uh, so I talked to the owner and, uh, at the time and I was like, Hey man, you know, I, I seen your guys' marketing. It's terrible. <laughs> let, let me help you make it better. And, uh, you know, and I'll, you know, I'll, we'll work something out so that, you know, I want to be involved in the brewing process. So, you know, they built the brewery. I, I, you know, I got all the marketing in order and we just been kicking butt since then. And with the pandemic hitting, you know, we kind of shifted our model and, you know, uh, but we kept brewing and I was a, a home brewer you know, who had his own brewery now and I was able to do whatever I want, uh, working with my partner. And, uh, so it was a tough time, but it was kind of a happy time, you know, cause I was in there like a kid in the candy shop, just brewing. When did your involvement with this brewery begin? Uh, it was a little after I moved up to Albuquerque about in 2018 is when this all started happening. And then 2019, the, it was completed, you know, we started kind of moving over there and then, you know, with the pandemic, everything hitting, you know, we were, you know, no one was going to brewery, so we're like, oh, man, we just got this going, and, you know, it was tough, but, uh, you know, we kind of made it, and it was, uh, it was, you know, I'm happy to be involved in it now, and uh, beer, you know, is just, uh, I got started craft brewing here in Las Cruces, you know, with right. the local favorite, uh, there was only one at the time. High uh, Desert. High Desert, yeah, that, going there all the time, you know, hanging out with my cousins, you know, we're all in school, so we're always hanging out there, and that's where I started kind of my love for craft brewing, and uh, but my buddy, he really got me big time into it. He, the bug bit me hanging out with him. We did a few brews together. After that, I was like, I was all gas, no breaks. Now, for the for the beer geeks out there, um, what do you have a, a particular style that's your favorite to drink or to brew? Or is there a difference? Or are you a little bit more well rounded? I mean, I know if I was a brewer, one thing I would never make is an IPA because I won't <laughs> drink an IPA. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. You know, I personally am big on porters mm. and stouts and doubles. I like the Belgian. Yep. Um, to me, an IPA is like eating a pine cone, like it's just bitter and, um, you know, the sours I'm not a big fan of Yeah, a, a full bodied lager. I mean, believe it or not, I spent a lot of years in my early years of beer snobbery would kind of, would kind of poop on, on any, anything lager related, oh, man, I love but in lagers. all, in, in all honesty, you can't, you really can't beat a full bodied American lager, oh, I mean, yeah. a Budweiser, mm -hmm. Coors Banquet so beer. So crisp. But, um, for certain things, like you go to a ball game, you go to the fights or something like yeah. that. That's what you drink. Um, but I will say there's no excuse under the sun ever and under any circumstance for a light beer. 
<laughs> now, what, what is it that you're brewing, and what are your favorites? Uh, you know, that's the best part of being a home brewer too, because I still got like four taps on at home. I got a, I got a beer fridge, and uh, so I brew what I what I like, what I'm feeling, you know. And you can brew it, whatever you want. Um, but right now, in this season that I'm into, are like Marzins, like a, a dark lagers, Czech lagers. Um, big like a- fan of porters, stouts. Uh, but at the, at the house, I, I try to keep like a lager on. I keep a dark. I keep like a pale ale or an IPA, then a cider. Okay, so if you're entertaining people, it's almost <laughs> like you get a little bit, of, yeah. a little bit of something for for everybody's palate. If you can remember off the top of your head, what do you guys? How many taps do you have going at the brewery up? At oh D2B? man, we got like fifty taps. And really? Yeah, they're not all in home. They're not all uh, brewed by you, are they? Most uh, we try to, but we have a few other local favorites. But you know, we want to sell our own beer. We used to sell a lot of Erwin's beer before we had the brewery up and going because we had a little part of time there where we were still kind of building and we wanted the restaurant to open. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's the fun part. We, we have a lot of, of our own. We get crazy. We have a bunch of different flavors and we got a bunch of ciders, uh, seltzers too, cause people like seltzers. Uh, you know, it's a big craze. And, uh, so we do ciders, seltzers and beers, which is real fun. I'm glad you brought up seltzers because I think that a lot of us, uh, a lot of guys who are especially into the, the craft beer might, might kind of laugh a little bit at a seltzer, but I'll tell you because of the type of beers I drink, mm. they're dark and heavy yeah, and a lot of times can be high alcohol content mm. given where, where we live, uh, at a place that's extremely warm uh, at least half the year. Uh, I don't drink a lot of beer in the summertime, and mm. what I what I like about the seltzers is um, my cocktails are, are vodka are always vodka related, yeah. vodka drinker. And um, what I found is uh, I'll I'll buy White Claw or or, or or any other kind of seltzer, just add vodka to it, so it's actually got some alcohol. <laughs> Give a little zip to it, you know. So because I think they come with maybe four, they're like five percent. Okay, think, so five yeah. percent, and I, I prefer to have an eight or nine percent cocktail, go. if you will. Give a little zip. So, so, and I've actually heard, I, I saw a meme going around saying that, that, uh, seltzers taste like, uh, what is it? TV static while somebody shouts the name <laughs> of a fruit from another room. Yeah. I was reading untapped and this is the worst thing. If you're a brewer, uh, there's this app called untapped where you can see right. what, what everyone's writing about your beers. And I, it's like poison, man. I don't like to go cause uh, they looked at one of my seltzers and someone will rate it like, Oh, five out of five best seltzer I've ever had or best beer I ever had. Then someone completely opposite of the scale. They're like, Oh, worst beer ever. Uh, I would drink Bud Light before I drink this lager. It's like, oh man, you you're taking it there. You really but, can't yeah. say anything worse than I'd rather drink Bud Light. I know. So, but I've had both both ways. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. Ah, that's why I don't I don't look it untapped. Well, you've got the brewery, you've got the marketing firm, you've got De La Luz Film, and you've got some some music that you're doing. What's next? Uh, you know, that's that's a great question, man. That's you're gonna stump me here, but you know, I I want to what I've built myself to become at this point is. I want to be able to create the stories that I write. You know, there's a lot of uh, people who, you know, and that's great work in the industry, you know, and work, uh, you know, on, on big films and stuff like that. But I really, I put myself in a position where I want to be, I want to stay that independent filmmaker. I want to put out music independently um, because these days, you know, the whole culture and the whole industry has shifted to, you know, you don't need these big corporations or these big companies anymore. You can do it all yourself. All you need to know is, you know, have the tools to do it, a little bit of know-how and just really the motivation. If that's what you want to do, go out there and get it. And I, 
you know, I that's you know one of my biggest philosophies. If I want something, uh, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it, and uh, that's what's brought me to this point, you know. And I've been doing really well with my films and everything. So why change a, a formula that I think working is working? And uh, I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to make my films. Happy to tell my story, and I'm happy to you know spend time doing things like this with great people involved in it all. Well, you know, I think you um you, you've got a lot of things going for you in that you're, you know, some people are just creative and some people are just marketing and some people are just technical. And you seem to kind of have that all under, under that one dome of yours. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think that may work, you know, in the long term. It, it, you can do a lot of things for yourself and maybe save a lot on a lot of costs. Absolutely. Um, and, and you can feed the creative and you can feed your, your marketing firm. Uh, by by putting all that stuff together, just want to give you an opportunity. We're gonna we're wrapping up here. Do you want to just give uh, plug plug away at everything you have to plug and um, have at it? Absolutely, yeah. So just make sure to uh, if you want to learn more about me or anything I do, go to lineinmedia.com. Uh, you can learn a lot about uh, all my projects that I have on my blog there. Udella Loose, you know, uh, awesome short film. You could watch it there. Uh, La Vida Buena, you can watch that for free. Again, follow me on all social medias. Julian Nunez on Facebook, JD Two Times on Instagram. Um, but, you know, it's good, good to be back in cruises. About to go crack a cold one, you know, and uh, thanks for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we've spent the last uh, little bit talking to Julian Nunez here on the Square Peg podcast. Uh, this episode uh, is... Uh, can't complain. Uh, there are some people you got to work real hard to, to, to interview and get information out of, and Julian definitely is not one of them. Uh, Julian Nunez, thank you for being my guest, and ladies and gentlemen, we will see you next time, which is next week, on the next episode of the Square Peg Podcast. Thank you very much.